Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? I want to say welcome, especially to those who are visiting for the very first time. We're glad that you're here. And uh, for any of you, if you had any question about getting up this morning and wondering, am I going to go to church? I want you to know you made the right choice. Anytime you put God first, he honors that and he meets us where we're at. And we're trusting that uh, he'll meet you and your circumstance and your need. That here at Life in the Sun, together through the worship and the fellowship and the word that you'll experience God. Amen. Well, wasn't that a great 25th anniversary celebration? Uh, So thankful for Taylor, Pastor Taylor and Elizabeth, and Pastor Roland, uh, able to come out and celebrate with us, along with Nario and Pastor Eric and Sharon from Saipan. And uh, just so encouraged by um, just his presence of being a father, and also just his uh, gift of being encouraging, his gift of sharing the word, um, I feel like we, we all feel like um, dad's in the house when Pastor Taylor is here. Really appreciate him. Um, God is at work, um, and we have this privilege to join him, not just for the past 25 years, but as we follow him into the future. Uh, I'm excited to be a part of that with you. Uh, church is an amazing team. When you think about spiritual gifts and passion for the Lord, Love for God and love for people. And then the idea that God takes what little we have and then he uses it to bless it and then multiply it. I mean, you're just part of an amazing team, the church, all over the world. And I'm excited to be a part of what God's doing here in Guam and Micronesia. After 25 years, uh, Armin mentioned it earlier, uh, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is where do we go from here? Where do we go from here. And as we move forward, the Lord wants us to remember how we got here. He wants us to remember that we experienced God by trusting Him, by walking with Him, because we love Him. And it's important that we not forget just the simplicity of a love relationship with God. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament. I'm, I'm so glad that God gave us His Word to help us see lessons from other people's lives so that we don't have to make the mistakes that they they did. But there's a reminder in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the Lord is speaking to the people of Israel. He's talking to his people. And he says, I'm going to lead you into a land of plenty. It's going to be a nice place. Uh, There's all kinds of goodness there and abundance. But he says, when you get there, be careful to remember me. Be careful to remember me. You know, why is it that they needed that reminder? Why is it that we need that reminder? Because sometimes when life gets really good, sometimes we can forget, or maybe neglect is a better word, the relationships that used to be important to us. And we kind of joke about that sometimes. Just imagine maybe your best friend, and uh, there's maybe dreaming and some ideas about one day being really rich, being wealthy. You know, and if your friend became a billionaire or was about to, you would say, hey, remember me. (laughs) We used to hang out in life group together, remember? And because, you know, when 
really good things happen, sometimes we can get distracted by all of that goodness. And we can forget or neglect the relationships that were important to us. The Lord also said, not, not just to remember him, but he said, remember the things that I have instructed you about how to live. Remember the things I've instructed you about how to live. You know, if you think about God's instruction, if I could just summarize it real quick, it's about the first four commandments are about loving God, and the next six have to do with your relationships with people. And the Lord is saying, don't forget relationships are important because it's a common temptation that when things get good, we can forget what it was that got us there. Success can tempt us to move on and neglect the relationships that were important to us. Progress can tempt us to say, hey, we did it. And then we can get to this attitude of just kind of resting in the achievement that we've accomplished. And Armin mentioned it earlier. I think the Holy Spirit had a theme going. We didn't talk about the messages. But it's the same dynamic that happens with championship teams. It's very hard for a Super Bowl team to win two championships back-to-back because you get to that point where you kind of rest in the success and lose focus about the disciplines and the actions that got you to the place of success. It's easy to rest in what's been accomplished and lose the focus. And there's a story in um, the book of Judges. The story is the people of Israel, they've been rescued from bondage and slavery in Egypt. They were now in the desert on their way to the promised land. The Lord said, I'll take you there. And, you know, remember me and remember the things that I've taught you. And so we want to keep that in mind because there's a very sad story that happens in the book of Judges. The first generation, they got delivered from Egypt And they were in the promised land. That generation passed away. Second generation went into Israel. And they inherited a great inheritance. But the next generation that came after them, there is a part in Judges where it says, a generation grew up who didn't know the Lord and they didn't know the things that God had done. And it's probably one of the saddest statements in the entire Bible. And it's important for us to Keep our eyes on the Lord and keep our focus on the things that are important so that we don't get to a place where we too can forget our our need to depend on him. How many of us have said, maybe around the 1st of January, I'm going to work out regularly? (laughs) And then, you know, come around mid-year, we're kind of back to some old old habits and patterns. And why does that happen? Why is that? Well, oftentimes what we do is connected to what we love. And maybe I love food, or maybe I love sleep, or maybe I just love, love my free time, my me time. And you know, every Sunday, the leader will come up and say, this is life in the sun. We exist to honor God, to make disciples in Micronesia and beyond. We say that every Sunday. And we all know that. But we need to keep in mind, you know, what is the focus that will allow us to be able to accomplish that? In order to make disciples, it all starts with loving God. 
You know, when I was just a young Christian, I was at the University of Hawaii, and every day I'd go down to the cafeteria and eat with all of our friends, our dorm mates. And I was just in the beginning stage of experiencing God. He had just allowed me to understand that he loves me and that he's for me and that he's with me. And it just blew me away. And everything I could learn about the Bible, about God, I would go to Bible studies, I would go to church, I was just soaking it up like a sponge. And when I would go sit down at mealtimes, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, I was just always talking about the Lord. And there was this other guy, I was like a freshman, he was a senior. And um, he had been walking with God at one time, but at some point he chose to turn away and not make God his number one priority. And I think my comments were irritating to him. And after months and months of hearing me talk at the table, one day in front of a group of about 15 people sitting on both sides of the table, he just leaned forward and he said, hey, is that all you know is to talk about God? And at the time, I just felt like, you know, I was just embarrassed because of where my self-image was at the time. But I realized I really had nothing to be ashamed of. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And, you know, when you're in love... Nobody needs to remind you to talk about the person that you love. Terry and I, when we were first dating, we would stay up till two in the morning talking. We were so happy when we got married, we said, finally, we can get some sleep. (laughs) You know, when you're in love, nobody needs to remind you to talk to the person that you love. And so in this whole idea of being a part of what God is doing and establishing his kingdom, It all starts with loving God. Making disciples starts with loving God. And sometimes uh, we can fall out of love with God. And we need to return to God and our love for him. And if you can relate to that, if you've been there, if you've experienced that, I just want to encourage you that he's a God of grace. His mercies are new every morning. And it's never too late. And... If you will just take tiny steps toward God, he will take giant steps toward us. Making disciples begins with loving God. And when we do, we will naturally talk to people about him. Just like I was talking at the lunch table or as I was talking with Terry, when you love somebody, it's easy to talk about them or talk to them. Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, Go and make disciples. Now, we all know this verse. We are familiar with it. Uh, We're reminded of it every Sunday. But sometimes uh, what we say is different than what we do. Amen? You know, when my kids were little, Terry and I would sometimes have to leave them at home. When they were in elementary school, we might go out to run an errand. Maybe we had a meeting or an appointment. And so we would tell the girls, we have two girls, And we would say, uh, we're going to lock the door when we go out. And if anybody rings the doorbell or if anybody knocks on the door or on the window, do not open the door. That was rule number one. And then we would say, number two, uh, while we're gone, we want you to finish your homework. And when you're finished with your homework, uh, we want you to clean your room. And when your room is clean, then you can play. And so that was the assignment. And we would go out. Well, guess what we would do? When we came back, I would ask them, did anybody knock on the door? Did you open the door? 
Want to know what happened in my home while I was gone? You know, did you finish your homework? And did you clean your room? And it was important to come back and and see how they had done because a person who is tested and passed the test can be trusted. And from there, we grew in our relationship with our girls to trust them for bigger and for better things. I remember when my daughter was 14 years old, the Lord said to me, "Um, I want you to formally acknowledge her as an adult. And uh, that sounds young to many of us, especially in today's society. We have a lot of delayed adulthood. But um, my grandparents got married at the age of 14. And my grandfather homesteaded 100 acres in Montana. And they did life. And they had kids and they raised a family. And it's amazing what your kids can do if you train them up and give them responsibility early on. But because high school now is to the legal age of 16, and most people, you know, think that you got to have a college degree before you can be, you know, employable in the world today, and even it's going on even to the masters, and we often tell our kids, don't get married until you finish your education. It's like marriage is getting pushed all the way back to like your mid-20s. There's this delayed adulthood, but God wants us to be able to grow up earlier, and so he led me to... Uh, have this formal acknowledgement of my daughter uh, to be an adult. And so we reserved a restaurant on the beach, sunset, beautiful setting, and uh, invited her best friend and said, you know, come and and, uh, join us for a special occasion. And I explained why we were there and that now you're an adult and there are certain responsibilities and certain privileges. And her best friend said, what are the privileges? (laughs) And, you know, a year later, I looked back on that, and I asked myself, you know, what was that about? And I realized it wasn't so much for her, but it was for Terry and I to see her differently and to treat her differently. And so when our kids were young, we would give them assignments to see if they would pass the test so that we could trust them, so that they could experience bigger and better things as they grow in life. In the same way, when Jesus returns, whether we go to be with him or he comes to be with us, when we meet with him, he's going to ask us a question. What did you do with my instructions to go and make disciples of all nations? Did you make the Great Commission great? And the reason that's so important is because that is the one thing in the world that the enemy cannot counter. There is, I don't know if it's folk legend or folklore, the story has been passed around so many times in various circles, but there was a young man who enjoyed wrestling as a hobby. Unfortunately, he got into a severe accident and he lost his right arm. And after he recovered and went through therapy, he went back to his wrestling coach and he said, Coach, I want to wrestle again. And the coach just looked at him like, what? He goes, yes, I want to wrestle again. And so the coach thought about it, and he had an idea. And so he said, okay, come to practice, and we'll begin training. And he trained day in and day out. And the coach would teach him just this one move. And he practiced that over and over again until he perfected it. And then he went to a competition. 
And he would wrestle and he won his first match and then he won the second one and then it got to the championship and everybody was on pins and needles what was going to happen. And he ended up defeating his opponent. And the reason he was able to do that is because the coach had taught him a move and the only defense for that move is to grab your opponent's right shoulder, right arm, which he did not have. And so nobody could defend against the move that he had perfected. In the same way, God has developed a move that the enemy has no defense. It's called discipleship. And if we will perfect that move, there's nothing he can do to stop the church. Pastor June, last weekend, two weekends ago, he said it's the unstoppable gospel. If we will participate and be a part of reaching others and helping them grow in their relationship with God. God and reaching lost people will happen naturally when we love him. If after church today, you're out in the parking lot and say a a Japanese tourist drives by and says, hey, can you give me directions to Maritzo? You wouldn't go, Maritza, what? You are, brother, you are so far off. What were you thinking heading in this direction? Maritza is like down south. You wouldn't say that because this person is lost. And when people ask for directions, you know, we don't need to get mad at them. They're just lost. We just help them because they're lost. When you meet worldly people, don't get mad at them. They're just lost. They just need direction. They're just lost. Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. You know, because the gate is small and because the way is narrow, people need directions. A college student once took time out, took the time to explain to me how I could have a relationship with God. And as a result, I'm standing here today. He and his friends, they set up a volleyball net in front of the library at the University of Guam. And I jumped in on the game. And that's how I began to experience God. The conversation turned to how can we experience God? And I had some questions And they got me curious enough to do a personal experiment all by myself. And I said, God, if you're real, I want to know. And and that was the beginning. And we too can make a difference if we'll simply take the time to explain to people how they too can have a relationship with God. My wife, Terry, has been in this season recently where she's had this question when it comes to reaching people. And she, she prays and she says, God... What is your divine strategy for reaching this person? And I'd like to invite her to come up today. Almar, if you could give her a microphone, Van. And and just to share a recent story that happened with her dad. Well, I've shared this story with some people, but I'm glad to be able to share it again. My dad is 91, and um, his health has been deteriorating for a few years and it's been a few years that I've been kind of grieving in my heart that I know that he'll go soon to be with the Lord but I wasn't real sure he was going to go be with the Lord and throughout 
my life, you know, the Bible says you shall know a person by their fruit. And so by the fruit of his life, I thought, I, th I think he's a Christian. But I would ask him questions like, Dad, have you ever put God first? And he'd say, of course we put God first. But that just wasn't clear to me. And more recently, like about a year ago, he had asked Mark a question when he was in the hospital. He said, Mark, will I, ever, will I get to see my, my first wife, which is my mom? He's remarried since. And so he has a question whether he's going to see my mom. And I know my mom was a Christian and when she went to be with the Lord in 2000. So the last, uh, this year, his, his health has really deteriorated. And back in March, he was uh, taken to St. Luke's in the Philippines. I flew out there. And as I, you know, just saw him deteriorating, my heart just began to grieve. And I would cry. And I would just uh, be in that deep sorrow because I wasn't really sure. And I don't think he was really sure. He passed that, that situation and came back to Guam. And in August, before we went to Singapore... I had been praying, Lord, there's got to be a way. What is your divine strategy for my dad? And, um, and the Lord just put it on my heart. He said, I want you to go visit him, and I want you, uh, he lives here now. I just want you to give him a massage. Just give him a massage and, and, and just do that every week. And so one day, my brother calls me, and he says, hey, I'm talking to dad, and my brother's a Christian. And he says, dad's not really sure if, if there's heaven and I said, well, you, you need to say something, you know, and I, I guess he didn't. Be, but the next day, I went to go see my dad, and uh, his wife was, ran an errand, so I was with him by myself, and he was very alert. And so I just started massaging him, and I said, hey, Dad, Tony says you don't, you don't know there's a heaven. And he said, well, did anybody ever come from there and go back? I said, yes, Jesus. <laughs> and, and then he was really listening. I said, yeah, Jesus. And then the Lord just said, ask him, does he know the story of the Tower of Babel? And so I said, Dad, do you know that story? And he knew it. He told me the whole story. He said, oh, they tried to get to heaven, but they couldn't. I said, exactly. I said, he, they couldn't get to heaven, so heaven had to come down. And I said, and then I read him the story about Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And it says, you know, Nicodemus was an old man. He came to Jesus and he asked Jesus about how do I get to heaven. And that's when Jesus talked to him about being born again in the spirit. And my dad says, so is that where the term born again Christian comes from? I said, yes. And I said, dad, when I was 27 years old, I said, I asked Christ to come into my life. I said, as a young man, did you ever do that? And he said, well, I've tried to live a Christian life. And I said, how have you been trying to do that? And he says, well, I've watched people and I've watched other Christians. I said, yes, but as a young man, and he's 91 now, did you ever ask Jesus to come into your life? And he says, you know, I, I can't remember. And I said, well, you know you can do it now. Would you like to pray with me now? And he said, yes. And so I said, okay, well, Dad, you just pray after me. And I said, Lord, thank you for coming to save me. And he said, Lord, thank you for coming to forgive my sins. He, and then he said, you know, I ask you into my life. I trust you. I give my life to you and make me the man you want me to be. I tell you, it was so amazing. I, he knew where he was going, and I knew where he was going. And I came home that day, and I said to Mark, 
I can lay my dad to rest. I can let him go. And there was just a peace. And now I go every week. I just went yesterday. I, and I give him a massage. And I pray for him while I'm giving him a massage. And then I say, Dad, let's pray. And, and I'll just put my hand on his head and we'll pray together. And so, you know, God has a strategy for every person. And it's really encouraged me that I've started asking the Lord for specific people what is the strategy for this person, Lord, and, and tell me what it's, it is. Because I believe every person is specific to God, unique to God, unique circumstances. And so we need to ask the Lord, what is, what is the strategy for this person? Amen. If we can go back to that previous slide and that scripture. In this passage, uh, Jesus said, the way is narrow. The gate is small that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And for that reason, it's important that we tell people about how they too can experience God. Terry had been sad for maybe about six months about her dad's condition. But I tell you, after that day of praying with him, she was high for two weeks. (laughs) 